You're listening to The Byliners, presented by The Gateway. Hello, hello, hello. It's the morning of January 1st, 2021. And although I'm about seven pounds heavier, it's still Tom DeKezi, The Gateway's arts and culture editor and your host for the hour. Um, If you listened to last week's episode, you know what The Byliners is on a winter break right now. Uh, And in the meantime, we're releasing some holiday specials. Last week, we took a deep dive into the archives to a time before the byliners when the show went by the name of the Gateway's Propaganda Hour. If you haven't checked that out, make sure to look it up in the feed. Uh, And this week, I thought we'd go back into the archives, but in a bit of a different way. So the byliners officially premiered on Friday, October 30th, 2020 on the university's campus radio station, CJSR, as a radio segment and then the following Monday on our podcast feed. All in all, that makes the byliners just over two months old, but a lot has happened in those two months. We've witnessed the drawn-out U.S. federal election and the chaotic end to Donald Trump's presidency. We saw COVID cases in Alberta go from bad to worse to untenable in a matter of weeks. We kept a close watch on academic restructuring at the University of Alberta and clashes between university administration, staff, students, and everyone in between. And we also had conversations about everything from Kim Kardashian's lack of self-awareness to why the Grammys are useless to the merits of eating an expired food. It's been an eventful two months to say the least. Uh, And so this week we cut together a best of episode recapping some of the most interesting conversations that have happened on the podcast. Um, Even though all the conversations happened in November and December, I'm still going to call it a best of 2020 episode because, you know, calling it the best of late fall to early winter just doesn't carry the same weight. Um, But I'll also be giving a little introduction to each segment to provide a little bit of context. But ultimately, I want the clips to speak for themselves. So without further ado, I want to welcome you to the Byliners' Best of 2020 episode, and in proper fashion, we're going to be starting with a clip from our debut episode on November 2nd. To give you a little peek behind the curtain, uh, we usually record the Byliners on Sundays, and then I aim to have the episode edited and posted for Mondays at 4.30pm. I realize I'm a little bit late this week, but uh, it's been a holiday. Uh, So since a big part of the show involves reacting to headlines, the content is pretty time sensitive, and it's important that we have a, a quick turnaround. That wasn't the case with the debut episode. Uh, because the episode was going to be premiering as a radio segment during CJSR's Fundraiser Fundraiser, I mean, what did I just say? CJSR's Fun Drive Fundraiser on Friday, October 30th, and then again as a podcast on Monday, November 2nd, we decided to record uh, the debut episode on October 28th. So that meant the conversation would be almost a week old before it debuted on the podcast feed. Now, usually I wouldn't bore you with logistics like that, but it's important because that meant our week old conversation would be debuting on November 2nd, as in the November 2nd, which was just a day before the wildest U.S. federal election of the last 20 years. So usually we try to have a strong focus on local issues in the U of A and the byliners, but the U.S. election was just too big to ignore. Um, These have also been four incredibly unpredictable years uh, under Donald Trump, and there was a real concern that our conversation would be totally irrelevant by the time that it went to air. Luckily, that wasn't the case. And even though the conversation we had on the first episode wasn't exactly hot off the presses, it still raised good points about myth-making, Trumpism, the state of democracy, and Canada's obsession with U.S. politics that are relevant even now. But I know something, so even something I was thinking about the last couple of weeks is that like, you know, when you see the U.S., like, like Mitchell, you're saying, like the, their democratic values deteriorating, to the point where it is now where people are wondering like yo can we even have a something as standard as a peaceful transfer of power anymore i've heard people talk about like is there a civil war looming and things like that i remember i was asking myself like why are we so especially like the people in canada like why are we so like fixated on the u.s and like i think obviously you know there's a good reason why we're fixated because you know it's the it's the center of like media and and the and the economics globally and things like that. They're the military superpower. But there's almost a part of like, is this is it good for us to be so obsessed with this other country, which really doesn't care about us even remotely 
as much as we care about them. And like, I don't know, part of me is like, yo, should we just boycott the US and just stop caring as much as, <laughs> as, as much as we do? No, I think it's true though. Like there was a point, like I think it was when when Donald Trump just got elected that like my parents would only watch CNN. Yeah. They were not, we weren't watching CBC. We were only watching CNN. And then you're just like, I understand why it's important to tune into American politics. But then I think when we do that, sometimes things that are happening in our own backyard kind of slip under the radar. Yeah. Like this whole thing about like the fishing and the lobster fishing that like situation that's happening in Nova Scotia Scotia right now. Like, you know, why isn't our leader speaking out about that? And we're all kind of looking at, we're thinking about the election right now, but like, has Trudeau even said anything about that? I don't think I've seen anything from him. Trudeau has said things, but they've been very generic. Um, or and I, I believe Trudeau said stuff, I should say. I'm not 100% certain. I know his ministers have. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, it's been very generic. Um, but I would, I would agree with Conscious Point writ large, though, I think. I, I think there's a good reason to fixate on U.S. politics for other reasons that, like, I, I, I still would say it's important to tune in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think a mistaken thing that comes out of it is I hear a lot of Canadians talk about how we're so much better off and uh, yeah. the sense of Canadian exceptionalism, where it's like Canadians would never do all this stuff. And it's like, honestly, you know, um, yeah, like Carter said, look to Atlantic Canada where um, fishermen are blatantly attacking um, Indigenous fisheries for fishing in areas where they have treaty rights to do so. And it's been ruled by the Canadian Supreme Court. They have a right to do that. Um, right. uh, and it's... Do they burn stuff? Or I just remember they were building like blockades. Yeah, they, they, they burned down, down a, a fishery, fishery or two, I, I believe injured, two in total. Yeah, they injured people in doing so and nothing's being done. But I just feel like if this was happening in the States, like it would yeah, be plastered all over, yeah, it would be plastered <laughs> all over the news. But here, yeah. all I see is you know, U.S. election stuff, and it's not actually been covered that much by the news here, which is, like, weird. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the unfortunate thing of, like, when it comes to a lot of Canadians, when it comes to Canadian news, we kind of have a vague understanding of what's going on, but then yeah. when it comes to American news, we're just razor sharp, know all the details. Like, I remember I was sitting there a couple of days ago thinking to myself, I can probably name quite a few more U.S. federal politicians than I can Canadian ones. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> which is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me sitting the other day, I was like, who, who was the past? Was like, after Stephen Harper, I was like, who was the prime minister before him? I yeah. don't even know. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I know now, mm-hmm. but. As a political science major, I can say that's very, very true. Um, uh, yeah, just it's, it's very accurate. Well, but I think the thing, and I think the reason, the fixation on U.S. politics is important because of the fact that I think, like, you know, America started fundamentally started as a country as an experiment in democracy and in, in um, liberalism, really, at the end of the day. Uh, like, a, like they're the fundamental definition of what a liberal democracy is, and I think a lot of times, like, where the USA goes, a lot of other places not won't necessarily follow, but they take, they influence a lot of people. Um, like, you know, I think if, I think if we see Trump win, I think, um, I think the repercussions for um, in Canadian politics will be felt a bit. Um, Obviously not just in terms of like just his policies, but also just the influence. Like, I mean, if you're a young conservative now, that's, that's not solely to call out conservatives, Um, progressives and people on the left side of the spectrum are the same way, but you're going up where your main political figure and icon is Donald Trump. Um, uh, And it's undeniable that will probably have an influence at some point in the same way that, you know, when when um, a lot of progressives came of age, their inspiration was Obama, and Obama is a hugely inspirational figure in in Canada, regardless of the fact that he technically has enough like he didn't implement any policies in our country. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I will say I think the fixations warranted in the sense of like it's important to understand what's happening next there to understand what might happen to democracy and liberal values here, but. Overall, we don't need to use it as a reason to say that Canada's on a gold pedestal compared to the U.S. because that's simply not yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to Canada's point. It's like sometimes, you know, when you're so focused on the U.S., it just allows all these things in Canada to, to just go unnoticed. Because I don't remember where I, I heard it, but I remember someone saying like a big part, like Canada doesn't really have a national identity or at least it's hard to define. And like a big part of Canadians' identity is just not being American. Which at the, at the end of the day is is still just I mean. a it's still just a fixation on America, 
and yeah. and so yeah and so then you so then you can have things like what's happening in nova scotia or mm-hmm. or um like even what's happening in in alberta like some of the things which which, which happened last like yeah. you know, kind of go unnoticed because you're just so busy watching the u.s you don't realize that you know some of those same things which you're criticizing um are actually mm-hmm. happening like right here which is messed up mm-hmm. yeah and i honestly i wonder like this fixation on the states and this is a very like not nuanced like not like well thought out point because i'm not a poli-sci student or anything this is a safe space let's go uh, but like you're good it's only going to be broadcast but <laughs> ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, i'm not an expert in economies or anything or how you know global economies fit together but like this idea, like a lot of it's this idea that America is like this big center for things. And I know Tom just mentioned that it's yeah. like um, a military, like um, super center and stuff. But like in a lot of other ways, America is not that great of a country. Like they're yeah. they rank so low on so many things. Like the standard of living there isn't so great. And I'm just like wondering, like, is this like obsessiveness with like America and like I think okay I think all this whole day of America as being great is like not seen by anyone else except for like in America and yet we still really really focus in on America so like is it just like are we just doing this out of like what's it called like routine now like you know because I feel like there was a point where America was quite a big player in like global Mm economies and stuff but now at this point it's like is it is that still there when we see like people like you know suffering so much over there Honestly, I Does that think that makes uh, sense. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a big part of that yeah. is um, like a part of why America has been so successful in like in building up this myth about them being the greatest country on earth. And the thing is, like, Canada's done that to some extent too. Like, a lot of Canadians just say, no, this is the greatest country on earth, which is really yeah. just as, just as, as uh, short sighted. But um, right. it's because I think of how successful they've been just exporting their media. If you really like, if you think about it, because the thing is, like, I. I listen to like my iPod is like 90 what percent American musicians and I listen to American podcasts. I watch American TV shows, American movies. And so even though like I can watch the news and get a glimpse of the real America and say, you know, I'm kind of glad that I'm here and not there. At the end of the day, like a lot of the stuff that I intake is people talking about, you know, their local issues, which are in America. (laughs) Um, And and it's so funny because sometimes I'll, I'll listen to Americans talk and they'll be saying stuff like, um, you know, despite, you know, despite slavery and, and racism and, and, uh, and divisions and clashes in the streets and, uh, and massive wealth inequality, this is still the best country on earth. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how did you just yeah. list all of those things? And yeah. I think maybe from the U.S. point of view, it's there's America, like the global map is just America and then a barren wasteland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There are so many other countries like China or like Sweden that rank so much higher and so many things. And yet, are we tuned into their media? I mean, I think you could say a little bit about more about like media availability, but like I don't really know what's going on in Sweden. I don't know, you know. You ain't wrong. Well, and (laughs) yeah, that's kind of I I disagree with all of that. I well, I I get the focus on America is that like America was one of the major leaders in democratic movements. Like I think Mm -hmm. I don't think America's ever been. Um, perfect, and I think I think anyone who says so is extremely flawed, um, um, yeah. blatantly. Um, but I, I think that the idea is that like America, I think like to like the idea. I think maybe with the fixation is that American democracy like might hold the best chance of going forward, or like like I like, which I don't know if I would agree with, but I think that's the idea behind yeah, it. Winter twenty twenty, it's all. <laughs> yep. <that's... laughs> What I was about to say, I think I think that this honestly might be the most fundamental test of whether or not American democracy can actually stand on its own is uh, if they destroy themselves um, uh, after the election on November third. Um, and once that happens, it's you know, it'll it'll kind of be a self-telling prophecy. Yeah. Is, and is, is plucky little Canada ready to fill the void? to take over <laughs> no. hell no girl yeah, justin's bro. too busy justin's yeah. too busy trying to call an election in the middle of a pandemic um, now i'm gonna fast forward a few weeks to our episode on november 24th and one of the marquee moments of the fall semester 
so on November 19th, the U of A administration hosted a U of A tomorrow town hall to give staff and students an opportunity to voice their concerns about academic restructuring at the university. Just to quickly explain what academic restructuring is, uh, due to some major cuts in post-secondary funding from Alberta's UCP government, the University of Alberta is currently undergoing a process of restructuring, looking for ways to make up for the funding shortfall by reorganizing faculties, departments, staff, and services all across the university. The restructuring process is wide scale, and it's also faced a lot of criticism from staff and students um, at times for being short-sighted and undemocratic, among other concerns. Uh, if you want to read more about it, we've done plenty of coverage on the Gateway's website, uh, gtwy.ca. But what made this town hall so explosive was a moment that we at the Gateway took to referring to as LaughGate. Uh, for anyone who missed this episode or didn't see the story when it first broke on our website, um, I'll let our conversation from the podcast fill you in on exactly what happened. Um, but what I will say is that LaughGate wasn't just a moment that was notable for how unexpected it was when it happened, but also because of what it symbolized regarding the process of academic restructuring and maybe what some of the attitudes um, were of the people who are in charge of it. But I think to move on to... Uh some U of A news. This has been a pretty big week uh, at the U of A. There's been a lot of uh, a bit, a lot of uh, um, hot, hot news dropping. Um, and so I think we want to get into that. We do have a few headlines we're going to cover. Mitch, do you want to start us off with uh, with LaughGate? <laughs> Tell us exactly what's going 100%. on there. A hundred percent. So LaughGate, as as we will be referring to it here, which feels <laughs> very accurate is a bit of a controversy that has emerged over incumbent president Bill Flanagan's handling of a question and answer session at a town hall on academic restructuring. So I know we've talked about academic restructuring a bit before on the podcast, but it's going to be, uh, for, for listeners who um, don't quite remember it or who haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, it's going to be the merging and amalgamation of faculties and academic departments within the U of A to try and achieve cost savings. So it's undoubtedly probably the biggest institutional change this year. And in response, the University of Alberta has been holding numerous town halls and like consultation circles um, to try and get feedback on their initiatives. However, like they're, they're quite often have been criticized for mm. excluding voices by both professors and students. And this really came to a head at the town hall this past Thursday. Um, it was a change from previous town halls in the sense that uh, normally the way that these town halls have been working in the past was that the president and provost um, would come to these town halls, do a presentation on the current format of restructuring, and then answer questions over a program called Thought Exchange, which is like you submit questions um, written online, and presenters get the chance to select which questions they want to answer. So, which is an definitely a lot of shady point. stuff, but... Hmm? No, I was going to say it's an important point, obviously. They oh. get to pick the questions they answer. Yeah. Yeah, and well, that's where a lot of the criticism comes from. So, I I would assume it was in response to this criticism, but I can't say for sure. Um, they did make a change at the last town hall where they had pre-selected Zoom participants that had been pre-selected by um, faculties to come participate. So... It was, it was honestly a lot of, in my personal opinion, political theater because these participants were pre-selected. Many of them were staff. Um, some of them had great concerns, but a lot of the time it was much more um, broad questions. And then we get to the second last question, which was posed by a student, um, na an engineering student named Adrian. And I'm going to ask Pia for the pronunciation of his last name because I always feel like I butcher it. Um, I think it's like Watamiak uh, or something like that. Watamiak, yes, thank you, yeah. Watamiak, yeah. Because I, I, yeah, I'm an editor that can't speak English all the time for <laughs> listeners' context. Um, well, you're a writer, not but, uh, a speaker, right? <laughs> show the human. True. This show is the true. human. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shit. <laughs> amazing. Um, but no, so Adrian went into a roughly two to three minute comment that he had prepared the morning of. Uh, when he was asked to participate in this, that really leveled a lot of criticisms against the way that consultations have been structured to exclude student feedback. 
and how the University of Alberta has been ignoring a lot of their own professors' concerns and commentary mm-hmm. over the restructuring process. And during his comments, um, the president, Bill Flanagan, and Provost Stephen Dew left the screen. Um, and when they returned to the screen, Bill Flanagan was laughing in response to his question and essentially said, oh, that's such, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, thanks for your comment and feedback. And then moved on yeah. um, after Stephen Dew essentially said the same thing. But it got a lot of attention online and... It's because it comes across as very dismissive. It's the fact that Bill... Fl- it's it's how Bill Flanagan chose to handle this questioning in in a way that seemed extremely derivative derivative and dismissive of yeah. um, Adrian's concerns. And he was, like, and Adrian even laughing. himself said similar things. Yeah, and he was even, like, laughing through his response. Like, like, what, like, when he was saying, thank you for your concerns, he was still laughing <laughs> while he was saying all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair to um, President Flanagan, he did issue an apology to Adrian after the fact. Um, however, as Adrian said, when the Gateway interviewed him for comment, Adrian said, you know, this really does represent, I feel like, what the issue is with giving feedback, is that when we give criticism, the admin laughs at us, and it's it's quite figuratively what's happening. And um, yeah, that's, that's the news story. And as someone who's, as um, the Gateway's opinion editor, I've gone to numerous town halls on academic restructuring. Um, both of the staff members here, my colleagues, can testify that all I talk about is academic restructuring at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's taking up so much of, a, of my personal life and time. But uh, as Mitchell's it was extremely... Mitchell's blood composition, re- listeners, Mitchell's blood composition is like 40% bubbly and like 30% academic restructuring and 30%... I don't know, sass. <laughs> so that's basically what this person is, what Yo. he is uh, uh, driven by. <laughs> oh, props! Are I would happily to, take that. Props are actually making it to 100% on that. When I, whenever I try to do metaphors like that, I'm always, <laughs> over, I'm always over under 100%. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. 100% brains here. It's because of my lactose intolerance, Tom. <laughs> um, as an art student, I can't do math, so I couldn't even tell if that added up to 100%. Um, um, but, but no, um, I was just it was so refreshing to see a student perspective on this issue that was critical. Um, you know, it's it's been a long time. The way these town halls have been set up, we haven't heard anyone else's voices other than um, primarily President Flanagan and Vice Provost Stephen Dew. And it was so nice to hear other people's voices and to hear a critical perspective. And it's it's a big shame that Flanagan met it in such a derivative way, you know? And I, and I get that Flanagan, President Flanagan might have been unexpected or laughing awkwardly, but regardless, he still didn't engage with the question or the criticism that was leveled at him. And I think it was very, very telling. Yeah. And yeah, what, what do you guys think about it, though? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. I don't know. After watching um, the video, which um, I'll, I'll put a link in, in the show notes of the article from The Gateway, where we talk a little bit more about this. It includes the video of, uh, of President Flanagan laughing. It wasn't like the response he gave. Okay, obviously, you know, you, you don't want to read too much in because like, you can't really tell people's intentions, but it was the kind of response you gave if you hadn't been listening to what <laughs> someone had said. Um, just kind of saying like, oh, thank you for those uh, kind words. Um, and now just moving on to uh, to whatever the next topic is. Um, but I think in terms of my thoughts more generally of it, I think this is something we've talked a lot about on the podcast so far, which is that through this whole academic restructuring process, it hasn't been super clear, you know, like, to, like, just to be frankly honest, it hasn't been super clear whose side the administration is, is really on. Um, mm-hmm. Like, when you look at some of the hires that have been made, when you look at uh, just the posture that's been adopted towards uh, the provincial government and some of the cuts that they're making. Um, we've talked a bit before about how how almost undemocrat- undemocratic the consultation process has been. And I think it all just kind of was manifested there in, like, I, I can't think of a more perfect metaphor of literally a student saying like, yo, I'm scared of, of the state of the school. And then the president just going like, ha, 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 <laughs> moving on <laughs> to the next question. Um, you know, and it, even though he issued an apology, it is just kind of alarming to see it, you know, kind of put out there so clearly. Um, Pia, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I actually know Adrian from the debate club at the University of Alberta. I'm an intercollegiate debater myself, and I was really proud of the way he articulated his concerns and many students' others' concerns, really. 
to administration. So the way I think about it, I'll put it like this. Um, I've heard some people defend President Flanagan, and I do understand to some extent that um, Adrian was quite well-spoken. He said a lot of things in those three minutes, mm-hmm. um, and he did direct a very um, eloquent sort of monologue almost to administration. That being said, though, even if we like take them at their best, and this is something that Adrian also said, let's take administration at their best. They wanted to do this process for the town hall where faculty selected students who they felt would be representative of their faculties of whatever demographic they were selected from and you know present concerns to administration in my mind adrian was selected to be part of that process by his engineering dean if you're going to create or set up some sort of town hall structure that firstly reduces the amount of pe- like amount of people who can participate to ask questions to begin with by screening them and secondly um in doing this create a sample like a smaller sample size of students i would expect that every single question posited by those students is responded to in an appropriate way that they've prepared enough and you know anticipated that somebody at some point is going to ask a hard question or make a difficult comment in the way that adrian did so to me it is an utter shame that no matter how hard they tried, it kind of like looks optically to me at the worst, like they're trying to suppress a lot of more um, perhaps angry sounding because at the end of the day, Adrian was still very like well-spoken. He didn't like curse them out or anything like that. Yeah. He, he was very much respectful of the process. At the end of the day, they did as much as they possibly could to kind of in my mind, it looks like optically they tried to, um, you know, select students who probably wouldn't make much of a fuss. They should have expected that one person would at least make a fuss. In the best case scenario, they wanted to be as representative as possible to have like an equal representation of students from every faculty of every department that they that they invited to this thing. So if we take them at their best, you know, and that they've selected people to be as representative as possible, I think that makes it even worse at the end of the day that Flanagan responded to Adrian's comments in the way that he did, because every person that spoke at that event isn't then entitled to, I would expect, a substantive, well-thought-out response. There is no shame as a presenter if he ha- if President Flanagan said, you brought up a lot of points there, Adrian, I would like to take a couple minutes to maybe discuss with my colleagues over Zoom, over the chat, or look over my notes to think about ways I can respond to you. That's the sort of level of respect I would expect administration to have for the participants of this town hall um, in any format, but especially in the format that they created where they had these representatives, right? So I just think um, that at the end of the day, no matter what his intention was, and I would like to take President Flanagan at his best here to some extent, I. Part of me doesn't really want to believe that he was laughing at a student just for laughing at him, right? At the end of the day, administration was ill-prepared for a town hall of their own structure and of their own making. And that is a goddamn shame, right? And that is unacceptable, especially for something that has so much tangible impact on people's lives, whether it's students, non-academic staff, academic staff. This, re- this academic restructuring is going to change the lives and the livelihoods of so many people. Um, so to be dismissed like that and to be so woefully unprepared to respond to Adrian, I think uh, is just unacceptable. So that's kind of my take. Like <laughs> they, they, they failed at, like they did everything they could to make the structure work for them and they still didn't like plug up those holes. And I think that that was a really big mistake on administration's part yeah 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 and just on that just really quickly i think there's just two important things say yeah because like even i'll read off flanagan's own statement um to give because i i do want to take flanagan at his best um and flanagan apologized and his exact quote was um quote i was impressed by adrian's comment which was a thoughtful and well-delivered critique and i thank him for speaking up unquote um and you know i i i think if flanagan genuinely thought that like i i get that you might have been ill-prepared, as Pia said. Um, 
But honestly, at the end of the day, A, there isn't much of an excuse for being ill-prepared when these kinds of critiques have been leveled by different professors and students. Um, at the administration prior, like, I, I myself have written an editorial in the student paper literally saying that the process is undemocratic. Um, and I, it's, it, and someone wrote, uh, David Kahane and Lynette Schultz, who are both professors, wrote op-eds in the Edmonton Journal saying that this process is undemocratic. Like, these aren't new concerns or critiques that Flanagan has never heard of before. So it's quite ridiculous for him to, like, to have responded like that. And, um, but even if it wasn't, like, I think his whole, his lack, his response or lack thereof one shows that he's really strayed from academia. You know, I think one of the best comments I saw online about this was that in academia, we're supposed to be an institution that encourages hard questions mm-hmm. and encourages thinking about the hard decisions ahead of us. And the whole University of Alberta Tomorrow process, right from the beginning where people weren't even invited to really partake in town hall, like where people's voices couldn't be heard at town halls or where it was set up in such questionable ways, to the last town hall they did where it basically ended with Flanagan laughing in response to a question really shows how far they've moved away from that ideal of academic critique and academic excellence that they consistently claim they want to be known for. And and just another thing, just really, really quickly, Mitchell, uh, I just want to throw back to that, how this process happened, like started, right? Adrian got an email at like 9.30 a.m., the day that it was happening, and he Mm. prepared that statement. He prepared all of these things. He got ready for this event in an hour and a half from the, the time that he got that email and he ha- he put enough thought and care into what he was going to bring to the table why did it feel like that wasn't the same way from the administrative side yeah yeah well and just as a last note to the way that this town hall was set up was as pia said honestly to administration's benefit um i mean they had they had comms employees asking questions, Literally. you know. And to give an example of that, it's they had Kate Willis, who's the acting communications head of the Faculty of Science, who's you know, comms employees' jobs is to try and make the university look appealing and good. I don't get why the only undergrad student who asked a question, at least that I saw, was Adrian, and it was taken in such a derivative way. And then also just talk about the makeup of this town hall real quick. Um, for those of you that don't see color, <laughs> apparently you're not alone because the vast majority of the panel that was visible on the screen um, was white. There was something I did see another student uh, mention on social media was the fact that there did not seem to be many visible people of color a part of this panel, which also is detrimental considering that the university has said in response to Black Lives Matter marches that they want to try and recommit themselves to equity and diversity yet you pre-select people for this town hall and the people you ended up pre-selecting at least from what was available to see to the public does not appear to be very diverse mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i think um i think obviously be, uh, seeing the best in president flanagan has been kind of a, a theme of this convo so far and i i think i don't know if mitchell you already mentioned it but it, it is fair to mention that during the speech, uh, President Flanagan goes off camera and then he comes back and he's laughing. So it's possible that, I don't know, maybe someone said something funny to him um, while he was gone. But uh, but yeah, I think like, like you and, and Pia have both said, um, the general structure structure of the of the town hall kind of makes you kind of makes you wonder, you know, what exactly, you know, what exactly this restructuring is going to look like and maybe what the U of A's intentions are. Um Choosing a clip for this next segment was a little bit tricky, uh, but I think I found one that's a good fit. Uh, so as you might have already guessed, the Byliners isn't a heavily scripted show. Uh, this episode is a little bit uh, less off the cuff, but we usually put together a list of potential topics just a few hours before we start recording. And beyond that, we don't really know where the conversation will go. Uh, sometimes that means the conversation you know, might fizzle out prematurely, in which case I'll probably edit it out of the episode entirely. Um, but it also means that there's times where the conversation goes in really unexpected directions. Um, that's exactly what happened with this next clip. Uh, what started off as a conversation about Harry Styles appearing on the cover of Vogue um, slowly morphed into a wider discussion about sex, gender, and race that I don't think any of us anticipated uh, going into it. 
Imagine you had a story about Harry Styles being on the cover of Vogue. You want to fill us in on that? Yeah, so love him or hate him, Harry Styles was on the cover of Vogue, and which is like, okay. But his whole photo shoot, he's wearing like, I guess like, I'm not going to call him gender neutral clothing because we just don't really view dresses and skirts as gender neutral, but he's in yeah. dresses and skirts. and Yeah long coats that look like skirts and stuff and this isn't like the first time harry styles has done something like this like he very openly plays with like gender and stuff but it was interesting because online he was like getting like mixed reactions to it and not in the traditional sense that we would think where people are like you're a man you know put on uh -huh. some pants uh -huh. but rather it's between more of like the younger audience being like he's queer baiting um it's only because he's white that he can get away with all these things like mm. that's kind of the response that's happening on the internet and i don't know like it's interesting because we don't i don't i don't think anyone knows what harry Styles' sexuality is that's his business it's not my business yeah, yeah. um so i don't know if we can say that he's queer baiting um but i still think him wearing a dress is still like a big deal in our culture art or western culture like there's so many like things because people are like comparing him to like people in other countries that like wear dress i know somalian men wear skirts it's like well not skirts but they're like things that you tie to look like a skirt uh -huh. and people are like oh it's just because he's white like blah, blah blah but i think him wearing a dress on the cover of one of the biggest magazines in our western culture yeah. um is a big deal because men don't wear skirts here <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. I, I think I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, especially as like a, like I, I, I read a lot of queer theory and I am a very proud member of the queer community. Um, I think, I think it's obviously beneficial to have that kind of representation on the cover of Vogue, have someone that's wearing gender non-conforming, um, like gender non-conforming clothing, like, you know, like instead of Harry Styles coming out wearing a suit or something, he's wearing clothing that obviously plays with the boundaries of gender and the limitations of gender. But the thing, the thing that I will say is that um, I, have, I have two thoughts on this, which the first one is that like Harry Styles is not the first person to like really played with gender like this in a really mm -hmm. radical way. Like even in Western culture, like, you know, I think the first yeah. person that comes to my mind immediately is David Bowie is someone who right. radically played with gender at a time where it was a much more controversial thing. Um, Prince. Right. Yeah, last night I was telling my sister, last night I was like, Prince walked. So that Harry Styles could run. Hell yes. Well, Prince like wore a bikini in his yeah. one of his album covers. Like Prince is Prince is very radical in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but I like so I, I think it's good. But I also think that yeah, Harry Styles has a lot of foreground to walk upon in taking the step. And I mean, I think it's more an indictment of Vogue that Vogue hasn't had a man in. Like, this is uh, the first one, yeah. Yeah, which I, I think that's more on Vogue as an institution and as like a media outlet rather than like society as a whole because it's it's been done before so that Vogue has refused to give it an adequate platform um That's true. yeah but then i think the other thing with the whole idea of queer being is i think with harry styles it's a bit different like harry styles sexuality is non-disclosed um which i mean as it's it's very difficult because i think how a lot of the queer community feels is that like for a long time um no one wanted to associate with us or our community yeah. um like edmonton yeah. pride like i'm trying to remember, i can't remember exactly what year it is but i believe it was in the late 90s early 2000s like there were some people that would like walk with bags over their heads because they were worried about like professional and personal repercussions that came from walking in pride um mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we have people that are just actively out for the community trying to kind of get the money of queer consumers um mm -hmm. i don't think harry styles is also doing that but it does lead to like a huger thing about like should celebrities feel the need to justify that like you know i think it's a bit more difficult even for me with celebrities like tyler the creator for example who's someone who often does things that are coded as queer now but who yeah up until like recently would commonly use yeah. the term faggot in his music and commonly mm -hmm. use homophobic slurs and insults in his art um, and like, I, I don't want to just like, I don't want to, um, I want to like try and say that Tyler, the creator is like, that might not come from a spot of hurt or a spot of like, just not knowing that we're queer. But yeah. I also will say it's extremely hard for someone like me who like has had been called a faggot growing up to all of a sudden have someone like Tyler, the creator go from someone who's like 
who kind of justify that use of language to being someone who's all of a sudden here for the community. It's, it's a bit difficult. Yeah. This is just, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but have you guys looked at the pictures of, of Harry Styles and Vogue? Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> think about the fit. Do we? Does he pull it off? I'm looking at the one of him in the dress and like the Victorian era dress and the blue. I mean, Harry Styles' fashion is very like, how do I say this? Harry Styles is like, TQ. It's so good. It's not conventional beauty or fashion. Yeah, like yeah. he likes to play with color. He likes to play with odd fabrics and just oddity in general. I think. So I think the pictures are beautiful. I don't know. I just yeah. love men in skirts, though. That's my that's my problem. I love men in skirts. I think they look so good on men. So, which picture are you looking at, Tom? Um, the one of him in like the Victorian era dress and like the blazer. Right. Oh, I see which one you're looking at right now, actually. Yeah, he's like got his well, one hand on his hip, and then the other hand is like a little in front of him. Yeah. 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 I don't know, but I, I think it was uh, yeah. Um, I think it was interesting, Kadri. You brought up like. I guess some people are saying he can only do this because he's white. And I think the timing is interesting because I know in the last couple of weeks, um, little Nas X um, yeah. rapper, you guys uh, famous for old town road. Um, I guess the biggest song of all time, pretty much. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he came out as gay. I think it was last year. Um, yeah. And this last week, these last couple of weeks, um, I know he posted a picture of him on Instagram where he was kind of like dressed up as, as like Nicki Minaj. Did you guys see that? Yeah, 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 for Halloween. I remember he got a lot of blowback for that. And I also follow him on yeah. Twitter and he was posting a few pictures. Like he posted a picture, I think it was just yesterday. And it was, it was obviously CGI, but it was like, it was like him kissing himself. Yeah. And a lot yeah, of people were freaking well. out and saying like, hey man, how can you do this? You're supposed to be a, you're supposed to be a role model. And his kind of response is like, I'm not, I'm not responsible for who likes my music. I'm not going to change myself um just because of that but I, th I think it is interesting to kind of see the different responses where like little nas i think he's got a lot of persecution and a, a lot of a lot of the criticism i've seen is people saying like yo you're falling into the trap of like hollywood always trying to feminize black men um mm -hmm. which is kind of a a theory a lot of people have um and yeah I, I think it is interesting where you have that happening and at the same time you have harry styles on the cover of vogue in a you know, yeah. 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 And this isn't the first time that, like a black like I after like seeing Harry Styles and at, on Twitter, people were comparing him to a picture of like Young Thug, who I don't really listen to. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Young Thug's been doing this for a while. Yeah. yeah. He's he wore a dress on the album cover of his album like 2016, mm -hmm. and he's a big like advocate for like androgyny and playing with gender, but he's not really. I literally didn't hear about it until I had. Yeah, to it's not really up. celebrated. But I think it's a difference also in community. I think that, like, yes, Harry Styles being a white man gives him more of a safe space to do so. Um, and, like, he obviously gets more credit because of his race. But I also think that, like, the Black community is, when it comes to, like, playing with gender, it's, like, not something that's super welcome, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think part of it, like, and I'm, I'm obviously, for, for listeners that have not seen me, I'm like white as snow. So I like full disclosure is about to enter a conversation about that, about race. Um, white as snow. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think that part of the reason Harry Styles can do this is yeah, because he's white. Um, I think the example of Lil Nas X is, Lil Nas X is extremely timely because mm -hmm. I think that um, like the way in which gender norms have been set up in like is that they've been set up generally by people in power that are white men, especially like a lot of the gender norms that um, that are controversial in communities of color are gender norms that were generally inherited through systems of colonization and colonialism. So it's mm -hmm. really, it's also still like, I think there's reasons why someone like Harry Styles, who is white can break gender norms, whereas when someone like Lil Nas X does it, there's a lot more like actual real societal backlash and backlash also from his own community like and because it, it's not like it was just like nobody's criticizing Lil Nas X either like I know 50 Cent made some pretty yeah, negative yeah. comments towards it which I mean for anyone that has seen the history of 50 Cent on talking about queer relations it's not surprising um Young Thug actually Nicki Minaj of all people actually um made fun of him in one of her songs for wearing dresses Oh, um, really? Yeah, oh, she... I thought she kind of sucks. I know he, like, looks up to her. That kind of... Yeah. Rough. Well, she married a rapist, so... 
Oh, oh. That's not wrong. That's not. Yeah, an alleged rapist. Allegedly. We should, Allegedly. We should right, clarify. Alleged rapist and pedophile. My bad. Yes. Well, not even shouldn't marry. Her brother is an alleged um, predator as well, I believe. Uh, yes, double check so that claim before we put that in. So yeah, no, it's I, true. Yeah. I believe that is correct. Mm-hmm, no, it's true. But yeah, but no, so it kind of sucks to see that, like, Something like Lil X is also deconstructing gender in a lot more of a radical way than Harry Styles is in some ways. Like he also mm-hmm. just released a song where he really embraces the idea of being a bottom, which is like wild as like a gay man to see that in mainstream society. I have to be honest, never, never yeah. thought I'd see a song on the radio where he, someone talks about that, but it's like, it's, it's a lot more of a risky thing to do and he's gonna get a lot more backlash from it. Not solely cause of it's more risky, but also cause of his race, I would say. Like, I think there is a reason yeah. Yeah, well, I think like in a lot of colonized like communities, there's this like really this is need to be hyper masculine as a response, right? Like, what what do you think, Tom, as a black man? Um, I don't know. I think it's, spot, I, I think I think I think it's true to some extent. Like, I know, and and here's the thing. Like, I'm not even. I don't think of myself as like an intimidating person. Not really. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. I but I, I definitely do know like a lot of people like when. Yeah, listeners, if you don't know, I'm, I'm black as night. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just the way that Kondra prefaced it with as a black man. Oh, did you say that? I, I totally missed yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just so used to it. He had to say life. it. He's black as night. He had to as say night. it. Night. Um, as night. Though. Hey, man, check your closets. I might be the. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm the boogeyman. <laughs> Black. This is really <laughs> yeah, that's anyway. why I can laugh. No, I, I think, I think, <laughs> what like, about I, me? <laughs> shut up, Mitch. Stop laughing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Am I gonna get canceled for laughing? <laughs> 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 what was I saying though? But yeah, no. What I say, like, I definitely, yeah, you definitely do. Like, realize that people kind of haven't have an expectation from you to like kind of be this almost um like this imposing figure or whatever and like when people realize like you know i'm kind of i'm kind of like a quiet guy <laughs> like i'm not really yeah. and like i'm kind of introverted and all these kinds of things and it's almost like oh but you're not supposed to be like that and it's like well why not you know but obviously i know why not um yeah. and so yeah i think there is definitely a an expectation of like oh you're supposed to be like this super strong athletic mm-hmm. aggressive person um especially if you're a black guy and, and being gay and dressing up like Nicki Minaj on Halloween doesn't really fit into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where do you think it comes from? I think that's a, that's a really, that's a really good question. I think maybe, you know, we're about to get our, uh, our colonial critique glasses on. Um, let's go. Come on. <laughs> yeah, everybody strap, strap yourselves in. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Time for a colonial critique brought to you by Gateway. <laughs> Um, no, but I think it's just, um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's just the, 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 what's the word vulnerability of like black, black families and like black communities. And so it's almost like if you're like, yeah, the, the, here's the thing. Like if, if you're, if you're a black person, you're, you're in a position to be exploited, be it, um, be it by like police or or or, yeah. or capitalist systems or whatever you're just you're just in a more vulnerable position than you would be otherwise and i think to, to kind of add on to that and like to now make yourself not just black but now i'm also gay or like now i'm also whatever it's almost like you're willingly putting yourself in these in these like compromising situations and then you add on to the fact that like maybe there's a feeling that, that the, uh, the black community is something which is inherently fragile and 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 that's kind of complicating that i don't know there's there's a lot of i'm sure there's a lot of things i'm missing but i, I think that might be kind of what feeds into yeah into these ideas i don't know if you racialize queer people and i think that like i think being at that intersection is extremely difficult where it's like being like as, as a white gay man i'm not going to be scared to say there is a lot of racism in the queer community unfortunately um, especially mm-hmm. towards Black and Indigenous people, it seems. Oh, and, and towards Asians. I, 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 yeah. I guess all really racialized minorities, the more and more I think about it. But um, but I, I just think that there's a real vulnerability there. And then, yeah, also, there's a real feeling of, of um, potentially putting both communities on the back burner, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like 
Kimberly Crenshaw, who originates the Truman Channel, kind of talks about her experience as a black woman with this, where yeah. she talks about how, like, in the feminist movement, they don't want to hear about, like, they want to solve women's issues first, then be concerned with yeah. issues of racism afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with, like, vice versa for sometimes communities of colors, how she found it, was that they want to solve issues of racism first and then solve issues of sexism afterwards. I feel yeah. like that's sometimes how the pressures that's put on um, queer people of color the, at least in my extensive like in my experience is talking to people that are queer yeah and, you're like never yeah. the priority although we have a lot of conversations about serious social issues and we also talk about politics and u of a news we also have a lot of fun on the byliners um although sometimes we do have a little too much fun and we say things that i have to immediately cut out of the episode and make sure they never see the light of day um, but we still try to make sure that we're genuinely enjoying the conversations that we have um, on the show, no matter what the topic is. Uh, I wanted to capture a little bit of that with this next clip, which is from our November 24th episode. So this is from a few days ago. Um, this is from Toronto. So a uh, Toronto man, um, he's recently volunteered to eat a 14-year-old can of soup to raise $10,000 for a food bank. So uh, <laughs> to give uh, to give the listeners a little more background, um, Oliver Bryan, uh, he's he's a Torontonian. Um, and on November 18th, so about four days ago, the Parkdale Community Food Bank, they posted a photo on Instagram of a can of chicken noodle soup that they'd been donated, which had expired in uh, in 2006. Wonderful year. Um, and like, first of all, I guess it kind of speaks to the issue of, of, of expired food being donated to to food banks because I, I like I, knowing people who have worked in food banks that is a really common thing of, of people just saying like oh this has been in my pantry for a while let me just toss it into to the food bank not really bothering to check the the label and I think even the even in the article though the food bank says like generally if you're going to donate something to us ask yourself first would I eat this thing um mm-hmm. but they posted a picture of it onto their Instagram uh if if the listeners if you want to look up the article they post a screenshot of their conversation with oliver bryant it's hilarious so they post a picture and then he responds like i'll eat it if your followers donate 10k um the food bank the food bank responds like okay done i'll grab it from the trash if you're down (laughs) and then i think it just it it immediately hits uh uh oliver what he's done and he's like oh fuck what have i done (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll do it. I don't care. It's probably okay, right? <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah. I I actually used to work at the Campus Food Bank, which uh, is the food bank at the University of Alberta that um, serves university staff, students, and alumni up to five years. And man, y'all should see the shit that we used to get donated. We have a jello wall or they had a jello wall they still have it in their office of just really old jello that people have donated there is a uh, celery flavored aspic jello brand aspic that was donated from probably the 1960s and if you read the back of the box there's like a a recipe for uh, i think it's mayonnaise tuna and celery aspic um, what's aspic like casserole so aspic is just like a savory jello oh what? they're like they're like meat aspics regardless i just you know i'm looking at the can right now and my expert analysis there's no dents in it there's no you know there's no bloating at the top or bottom of the can i think there's very little signs that there's botulism to be concerned about it probably will taste a little bit rank and disgusting but I don't think he's going to get poisoned. Wow, That's Pete. kind of like my hot take. <laughs> it, so- it sounds like you've done this before. <laughs> Listen, I've, had, I've, I've been curious. I, I can't say I haven't been curious, but yeah, no, that, that, that can of soup looks old as hell, but I think that at least we he can rest assured that he will not die. Rest in peace. So yeah, uh... he can rest assured he will not rest in peace. Exactly. It's really interesting you, you bring up the jello, because I know even in the, in the article they mentioned, I think the oldest thing they'd got was a, a pack of jello from 1997 so i don't know what it is about jello but people just be getting reckless with it i think so far um the campaign has raised five thousand, and the goal is to reach ten thousand by november 25th so i guess thursday this week but i was wondering kind of after reading the story i thought i would ask you both like what's what's the most questionable thing you've ever eaten like i know for me Okay, here's the thing. For me, like dry foods, dry foods, I don't 
I tend to not take the expiration date too seriously. Like, if I have, like, a box of crackers and it says, like, it expired a week ago, I'm like, well, what do you mean? What, <laughs> what does this really mean? Um, I'm trying to think about, but I'm trying to think the most questionable thing. Something related to work. I know when I first started working at the Gateway, um, <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I went into the office. <laughs> I'm not proud of this. <laughs> oh? Okay, so right now our office is... Um, it's it's under construction um not yeah because there, there was a leak and there's some things to fix but back when it was open um i remember one of the first times i went in there um i went to my desk and i think it was the old arts and culture editor before me um she'd left like a bag of skittles on there and the first couple days that i went in i i totally ignored it and then like one day i think i just been there for a while and i was like you know what no one's gonna eat these skittles so i, I look at them and i think they'd expired like maybe four or five months before that. but like i said like who cares to dry foods so yeah I, I ate them all in like in about 10 minutes um <laughs> that's probably like the most recent questionable thing i've done with food how about you guys is there anything i remember those bags of skittles that's Do all you? i'm gonna say they, so- well they were originally i think they were i really thought no one would like- notice <laughs> I think they were our old opinion editors because they were on my desk originally. Like, I just moved oh. them into the center to see what would happen. <laughs> well, now and we know. So I, oh, this is like a social I'm not going to lie. I did. I don't know if you ate them all because I remember having, I remember seeing them open once and then having one or two. I'm not oh going to lie. Oh, my God. Okay, okay guys. All right. But, you um, know. So you're also proud. culpable. You're, you're accomplice fine. to this crime. That's. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, I've, I've probably eaten a lot of questionable things. Not because I'm an actual eagle for an expiration date. Like, the mm. idea of being a, four, like, 14-year-old can of soup terrifies me. But I, I feel like I've probably accidentally eaten some questionable things. Um, the only thing I can think of immediately off the top of my head, though, is that I, listeners that cannot see my desk, slash co-workers that cannot see my desk, oh, but don't I've know seen, how I saw it once, person yeah. I am. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, Tom's seen it once. It's like a collection of bubbly cans, old Wait, coffee what? cups, and I yeah, bubbly. I I drink bubbly like I probably drink five bubbly cans a day. I have so many <laughs> cans on my desk. Um, and there was one time where I went to pick up a can of Pepsi I was drinking, and I picked up probably like a two month old can of Pepsi and accidentally drank out of it, and that Ooh. was that was pretty nasty Ooh. and disgusting immediately. My goodness, you um, know that's. That must have been very lukewarm. And like flat. Was, yeah. Um, I'm trying to imagine what that like, the Pepsi texture without The texture was fizz. also like not fully liquid. Texture, bitch, okay. Whoa. Texture. It had solidified? <laughs> not solidified, but Was it, was it like... chewy, Mitch? Was your Pepsi chewy? No, no, no. <laughs> was it God, crunchy? It, wasn't. it was It was like, <laughs> it was like, like thick. Did you have to like use oh, dental yeah. floss after you drank it? Like just pick it out of your teeth? Like... <laughs> Oh, it has some viscosity. Oh. It had a little bit of body. It was a little thicker than he remembered. Damn. <laughs> me, me since quarantine started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was bad. I'm okay. the two-month-old Pepsi um, version of myself. <laughs> what about you though pia we haven't heard your nightmare fuel yet okay. I, feel, yeah. I feel like for listeners to give context pia's like a gourmet chef pia mm-hmm. makes some of the most gorgeous food i've seen so there has to be some misses in there yeah there there has to be some big misses in there yo okay so the thing is i used to be a real expiration date eagle like in the way mitchell is um but then i started working at a food bank and learning more about dry foods and like perishables and what to expect in terms of things and i just started appreciating my food more deeply and i now go by what i call and what a a lot of experts let's say experts call the smell test right when it comes to my dairy my perishable sometimes you just gotta gotta give it a little bit of a whiff um and i had this really like really good greek yogurt like it was pretty expensive and i think what happened was i just had a really busy week where it got like buried at the back of the fridge for a couple weeks Um, my fridge is pretty cold though so i thought i was in the clear and (laughs) i just i couldn't remember whether or not the smell of the greek yogurt was like how you know fancy because some you know rich people food sometimes fancy food smells a little bit off but you eat it anyway because you're like okay must be a reason why people are spending all that money on that so took a couple sniffs of the greek yogurt and i could not tell whether or not it was good to go and or if it was not good to go but let me tell you, uh, listeners and 
to my coworkers as well. I was good to go after Ooh. eating a little bit of that Greek yogurt. <laughs> Gotta tell you, I don't know if it was the lactose intolerance or if Jeez, it was something man. else going down, but that was probably in recent memory something sketchy that I've eaten. But I feel like, you know, we've all had times where we're a little intoxicated coming home from White Avery. You're just really hungry, got the munchies because you're intoxicated, and you just eat something you maybe could could have thought twice about if you were sober, but did not in the moment. Um, but for, for sober eating, that Greek yogurt was probably not a call, not the good call or the right call, but I didn't want to waste money, right? So Damn. I think that's, but that's on mean, me. The money part is fair. Yeah. I feel like money will influence how you milk feel. Are like, no? Milk and yogurt are like my worst idea of what to eat once they're expired. So you're, you're a much braver damn soul than I, I just am. Couldn't, I just didn't know if that fermented, you know the kind of sourish smell was if it was off or if it was just because it was like fancy greek yogurt yeah now i know and you know sometimes yeah. you learn from your mistakes in fact that's literally the only way i learn anything is because i messed up so uh listeners take it from me maybe maybe sniff the yogurt more than twice <laughs> if you're if you're a little bit unsure about it <laughs> yo thank god you're being careful in the pandemic because you really can't afford to get covid and lose your lose your sense of smell you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> just real. eating whatever like how do i know this is expired <laughs> you can lose your sense of taste though i mean so pure yeah could, pure would not have to waste any money uh-huh. okay. could do yeah no anything. for sure and but I usually am pretty good in terms of uh, throwing out food that's possibly gone bad. It was just like this circumstance. I wasn't quite sure. Man. But yeah. Um, yeah, working at a food bank just makes me want to... Did you know that canned foods are usually okay like up to a year or two after their expiry date on the can? Or the best before date? Because that's why it's a best before date. It's best yeah. before that time, but it's still okay after that time. Yeah, I've always thought it was kind of like with expiry dates, it's more with um, like, you know, how elevators say there's a like 1100 pound max, mm-hmm. but I've heard in reality, elevators can hold like two or three times that, but they just put that number on there, like just so there's a safe margin. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always kind of felt that way. Well, not always, but like more recently, I felt that way with best before dates, too. It's like, this isn't like, are you really telling me some guy in a lab was like, oh, at 1232 p.m on december 15th this is gonna be bad to eat it's like no it's this is all just a guess i can probably and, eat it a week and after. it really depends on like even for example a lot of dry foods like tom said don't necessarily have a an expired date or a best before date really their best before date but like if your pantry let's say you live in edmonton in an apartment building and you're like on the 13th or 14th floor in an older building it's a little bit hot a little bit sweaty not really a cool and dry place even though it's in your pantry sounds like a rave. those chocolate chips those like that <laughs> honey that you have it might not be good anymore even though you know the best before date says that it's fine so it really depends on the kind of environment you're leaving your food into um which is why you know best before date for like yogurt ice cream stuff like that for example is again just a best before but there are things that are that do expire that you should not consume after the expiry date Uh, i don't think any of us have to worry about this but like baby formula um baby formula expires Uh, ensure boosts like those like nutritional supplements those also expire um and anything that it's like a health food that has some sort of medicinal property after the best before date, the the half-life of whatever sort of a medicinal component is in there starts to start whittling down. So mm-hmm. that's the only things to really watch out for. But I guess the conclusion, at the end of the day, just don't be nasty. Keep your food in a clean place, you know? If it says exactly. cool and dry, try to make sure that your pantry is actually cool and dry. If you make sure your fridge is nice and cold, uh, put things in the freezer. More things freeze than you think. Um, I freeze everything. My freezer is too small. But yeah. Um, Mold, not edible. Um, also, on, on that note, if them. you are going to eat an expired food, tweet your food bank and see if you can get $10,000 donated <laughs> to them to do it. <laughs> At least make... for a good cause. <laughs> you know, I could have gotten. Make it worth our time. I could have yeah. eaten that exactly. yogurt for something, for yeah. some purpose. But, you know, this guy, sure. this guy smarter than me that's why yeah. i guess also though pia to go back to your description of if you're in edmonton on the 13th or 14th floor like a moist building were you just describing lister hall on our show for <laughs> listeners not familiar? 
Yeah. Yo, literally, Lister Hall, the cure to COVID, the cure to cancer, the cure to everything. Everything is going in those fridges, man. This one time I was in Lister and I opened up like a cabinet, just like a random cabinet um, during around cleanup time. And I opened up a cabinet. There was a pack of bacon just in a cabinet. Like not in the fridge. Man, just first, just first just... years, man. <laughs> How much y'all want to bet someone I've... ain't that? Like, <laughs> like regardless. I've never seen a pig in a fridge. Listeners, I really wish that you could see Mitchell just gesticulating. His eyebrows are doing a tango. It's it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, at least. Uh... At least the world is getting a break from Lister for this year. Um, also, <laughs> also, I guess we want to wish, wish uh, Oliver O'Brien best of luck. He has, uh, I think, three more days to raise $10,000. If you feel like helping him out, um, you can check out Parkdale Food Bank um, on Instagram. And also, I think it's just fair to say, if it's not already clear, none of us are medical professionals here. So if you eat your expired crackers and drop dead, it's not our fault. Um, <laughs> don't bring this up. <laughs> There's something else going on there. If you yeah, probably. You've been poisoned. Um, <laughs> but um, If you eat the Lister bacon. <laughs> yeah, die. if you eat the Lister bacon and die, uh, we warned you. Um, <laughs> moving on from that. And that is it for our best of 2020 episode. Uh, Even though we're just coming into the end of our first trimester as a podcast, I think it's fair to say that the Byliners has grown quite a bit um, and we plan to keep on growing into 2021. Uh, We should be back on the air on July 11th um, with new episodes with the start of the new semester. Uh, We're still in the midst of a pandemic and academic restructuring, so you can expect headlines, um, but you can also expect us to stay on top of those headlines, uh, be it in pop culture, politics, U of A news, and everything in between. Uh, We also have some exciting plans for 2021 to incorporate more um, listener elements, uh, like feedback, questions, and things like that, and possibly even expand to a few more podcasts. Uh, Who knows? Uh, So make sure to keep an eye on the podcast feed and the Gateway's Instagram page. And of course, make sure that you're regularly checking uh, gtwy.ca just to see our coverage in um, arts, news, um, opinion, uh, multimedia, um, and anything you can imagine. Uh, That's all for me, though. Uh, I'm technically still on holidays, so I'd like to get back to that. Uh, In the meantime, though, take care, stay safe, and Happy New Year, Alberta. Let's make it a good one.